0: Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis forty-eight. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book, and you know it's been so fun to go verse by verse, passage by passage. It's just an incredible book because you think of the the four big events: the creation, the fall, the flood, and the and the division, as we call it. And then there are four great people in the book: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. That sort of puts the whole book together if you think about it that way. We're near the end of the book, and of course, what we'll do now is we study when we get to the end of Genesis, which is not going to be a whole lot longer. We they end up, of course, the end of the book. They're in. They're in Egypt, but we we can't leave them in Egypt. So what we're going to do is, is we'll go in about the first, maybe... Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen chapters of the book of Exodus, just to get them out of Egypt. We got to, got to see that. We can't leave them in Egypt, and then, and then we'll go on to another study. But that's what we're going to do. So uh, we're near the end of the book. The focus is on Joseph and Joseph and and Jacob, and there's so much there. In this section, Joseph uh, is has come to see his father Jacob, and here's basically the last two chapters, or these last two chapters, not the very last, because chapter fifty is the last chapter. But in chapter forty-eight, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, and then in chapter. 49, Jacob blesses his sons, or it should say sons, and they should be sons there. So that's what we're going to see. Um, The passage has a number of key areas. Let me show you some things. First of all, we see the blessing of Joseph's sons. We see the blessings concerning the growth of the nation. You realize that they're not a nation. We keep saying the nation of Israel, and here's Israel. But here, Jacob is Israel. Sometimes he's called Jacob. Most of the time in this little section he's called Israel. But you realize there's only 70 people there. Maybe a little longer, because 17 years have passed since they first went down to Egypt. They went down to Egypt. There was about 70 people in all. There may be more than that now, but that's not a nation. They're going to come out with with 2 million people later on, but that's what we're seeing. This is the blessings concerning the growth of the nation. We're going to briefly look at role of parents and children, just something very briefly tonight. And then the promise, the final thing, the promise of Joseph to his father concerning his burial, and we'll see how that ties together. There's so much in the passage. Let's do this. Let's begin with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, what a great great, great night. Thank you, Lord, again for the great songs. We also thank you, Lord, for this time of the year in which we think about Christmas and the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ and just the the great memories that we all have growing up, thinking about the Christmas story and Jesus Christ coming into the world, uh, the the Savior that is born, good news of great joy to all people born this day in the city of David is the Savior Christ the Lord. Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we proclaim that message to this community. And Lord, as we think about the very end of the book of genesis and and joseph and jacob and the family and and the nation of israel in in egypt now what happens to them and what's going to happen so lord we thank you for the truths that we see in your word teach us now as we study we ask all of this in jesus name amen well what do you think of when you hear the term the great commission of course you, you naturally possibly think of Matthew twenty eight eighteen to 20. And Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to command, uh, teach them to uh, obey all which I have commanded. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The key thing in there is to make disciples. And we know that making disciples is a twofold thing. It's leading people to Christ and then training them and equipping them. We have that privilege. We think we get to make disciples. We get to fulfill the Great Commission. We get to tell people... That Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in Him has eternal life. We also get to tell people that as they trust in Christ, we get to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Prof. Hendricks, my professor at Dallas Seminary, said this, You know, there are only two things that will last forever, the Word of God and people. This is where we should invest ourselves, in the Word of God and in people. But where do we start? If you think about making disciples, where do you start? You say, well, neighborhood, workplace, many places to begin. You think about maybe, you know, uh, where we work or where we play or our neighbors or, or all those kind of things. But God has actually built in sort of a built-in place to begin the Great Commission, and that is our children. Because in Ephesians 6, it says, bring up our children in the training of the Lord. We're supposed to train them. This is where it really starts. We get to instruct our children. We get to tell them about Jesus and about salvation and eternal life. And then as they trust in Christ, we get to be used by God to help them grow. And and that's really the key. And so this evening, as we look at Jacob and we look at Joseph and we see the blessing of the children, we just want to think about, as he's passing a blessing on, we also want to think about the whole idea of what what are we supposed to do with our children and and the. On the truths as well, and so we want to see that. We'll just we'll just kind of touch on it a little bit about about the role of parents and children and those kind of things. Well, let's begin. Let's see where we are. Jacob, uh, and in this passage, he's called Israel a lot. If you remember, his name, of course, was Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means prince of God. And Jacob is near death. He has requested that Joseph to Joseph that when he dies. That they would not bury him in Egypt, that they would actually make a trip back, go all the way back to the land, go back to the cave of Machpelah, which is about the only property that from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob that they owned in the land, and they'll go back and there. Abraham is buried there with Sarah, and, and uh, Isaac and Rebekah is there, and Leah is buried there, and he says, Take me back there and bury me there. There's a number of reasons for that, but he believed in the covenant. He believed in the promise that, that was their land. He believed one day that be a resurrection and he would be resurrected in the land he did not want to be resurrected in egypt and so in this passage we and we started it last week we see that joseph is bringing his two sons to be blessed by jacob and and it's a little unusual because usually the daddy blessed his sons this is actually the granddaddy blessing the sons and we're going to see what happens here Uh, jacob uh, is going to do something unusual we're going to see that the younger one gets the blessing above the older one. And if you think about it, in that culture, the oldest son in a family got the double portion, he got the blessing, he got everything that was a great advantage. But we see that how God is dealing, especially with the patriarchs from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down, that God sometimes goes past that. In fact, that's what he does. He chooses the younger above the older. Think about this. Let's go and look. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Which one was the oldest? Ishmael was oldest, but Isaac got the blessing because God chose and said it will go through Isaac. Then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, who was the oldest. Esau was the oldest, but Jacob is the one that got the blessing. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. The oldest was Reuben, uh, but Reuben didn't get the blessing. Who got it? Who got the double portion? Joseph did. And and, and, And think about this. Uh, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Which one's the oldest? Manasseh's the oldest, but Ephraim's going to get it. And we say, wait a minute, what is going on? Well, look at this last thing. The first son was Adam, who was replaced by the second son, who? Jesus Christ. That's The first Adam, in a sense, failed. The second Adam, or the, the last Adam is the way the Scripture calls it, is the one to uh, took care of it all. And so in a sense that sometimes God goes past the regular thing. He takes the younger one and blesses above the older one. And so let's see what happens. Let's start about verse 12. You notice he's brought the sons there. The sons were, uh, Israel is so old that he can't see, and, and Israel makes a statement, which I love. This is verse 11. He said, i never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Think about Jacob, or Israel as he's called here. He thought that Joseph had been killed by an animal, and all those years passed, close to 20 years And he never saw him. And he thought, I'll never see him. He's he's dead. There's no good way. I'll never see him again. And then all of a sudden he realizes or finds out that his son is ruler in Egypt, number two behind Pharaoh. He ends up going down into the land, and he sees him. And not only does he see Joseph, he sees Joseph's kids. That's just amazing. So he says, I never even thought I'd see you, and now he's let me see your children. And then Joseph took them from his knee and bowed with his face to the ground. I want you to realize how powerful that is. Because if you look at it, humanly speaking, who is the most powerful person in Egypt? Pharaoh. Who's the second most powerful person in Egypt? Joseph. Joseph is bowing down to who? Joseph's bowing down to his father. Just The honor and respect. But that's what it, that's what the thing is here. He says he bowed with his face to the ground. He's showing the great respect. Here he is, the, the, the leader, probably the, the ruler in Egypt is bowing down before this old man. And we saw already that when Jacob came to see Pharaoh, Pharaoh's the most powerful man in the world, and Jacob comes and blesses him. <laughs> and always the greater blesses the lesser. So it's just the way it is because we see that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the position or status in the world. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's all that really matters. So watch what happened. So, then Joseph took them from his knee and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right and brought them close. And I showed you this last week, but here, here is Ephraim. He said, Ephraim, here, you stay right here, son. That's his right hand. His left hand is Manasseh. That's the oldest. He's going toward his father. His father's going to be this way because he wants Manasseh, who's the oldest, to be on the right-hand side. And he wants Ephraim, who's youngest, to be on the left-hand side. So he's got it like this. He said, here, this one here, this one here. And he expects his father to do this and to bless those boys. That's what he expects. That's why he brought it that way. But notice what happened. But, verse 14, But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on, on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. What we see is this, that he crossed hands, putting his right hand on Ephraim, and the youngest in his left hand on Manasseh. So when it came time to bless him, instead of doing this, he did this. He crossed them over. And you might think, this guy, he can't even see. He doesn't even know what he's doing. What in the world is he thinking? Here's these two little boys here, and they were pretty young, most likely, at this time. And instead of him just going like this, he goes like this. And naturally, Joseph is standing there going, wait a minute, whoa, 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 wait whoa. Like they Dad, you, you missed it. Now, let me swap his hands for you. That's what he's going to do. In fact, if you look down at verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. He, 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 saw, he said, oh, Dad's messed up. He doesn't know what he's doing. But that's not true. Well, what happens? look at verse fifteen and I, I love this verse because verse really, first of verse fifteen or all of fifteen and the very first of sixteen goes together. watch this. he blessed Joseph and said. The God before whom my father, fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these lads. He calls God three things. If you, Sometimes we read it so fast we miss it. But he calls God three things. Look at the first one. He said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. So the first thing I want you to see, he saw God as the God of his fathers Abraham and Isaac. The reason he's talking about that is because he's going back to the covenant. Do you remember God chose the man by the name of Abram, who we know him as Abraham, and he told him to leave the earth of the Chaldees and go to a land that he would show him and the land that he would give him. And he made a promise to Abraham. We call it the covenant. He gave him a land of seed and a blessing. And that was the covenant that stretches all the way. And that covenant went from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. And so he says, when I think of God, he says, God, before whom my fathers, that's Abraham and Isaac, walked. And so it's the covenant God. That's what he sees. He sees the covenant. And and he saw God as the God who made the promises. Now, let me ask you something. Do we, we think about a covenant. Do you see God as the covenant God? as the God who made promises. We see Jesus on the very last night, right before He goes to the cross, and He says, take this bread, this is my body, take this juice, this is my blood, which is the blood of the new covenant. He made a covenant for us. It's the covenant that is made with the nation of Israel. It's called the the new covenant. But we reap the benefits of that covenant. Do we see God as a covenant-keeping God? Look at the second thing that he calls God. First, he calls him the God before whom his fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Second, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The second thing is he calls God his shepherd. Now, that Hebrew word is ra, which means the shepherd. It means provides and protects. He saw God as the one who provided and protects. Protected him all his life. Now, we know that Jacob, or Israel as he called here, is a pessimist. We know that. We've watched his whole life. He gripes about everything. He says he doesn't have anything. He says his life is short. His life has, has not been good. And yet that's not true. He's, got, he's one had the, one of the greatest lives of all time. He married the person he wanted to marry. He has 12 sons. They're going to be the great tribes of Israel. He's living in the best part of Egypt. His son, who he thought was dead, is alive. He's seen his grandchildren. I mean, it's been a great life for him. And here's what he calls. He says... God is the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. He's been his shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who provides and protects. And when you think about it, that's what a shepherd does. Well, the question is, do we see God as our shepherd? When you think of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the one who guides us and protects us. There is a third thing, the third way, and this last one going to surprise you. He says he's the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, so he's the God of the covenant. He's the God who is a shepherd. But look at verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil evil the third way he sees him is the angel who redeems and in the old testament the angel of the lord that's god that's that's the everlasting god he is the one who redeems now, i'm going to just leave that slide up there for just a second let's talk you realize that many times in the bible when it just says angel in the old testament or in the new testament it's referring to spirit beings that are messengers that god uses and sends them out but there are some places in the old testament in which Someone is described as the angel of the Lord. And that appears to be the pre incarnate Christ. It appears to be Christ in some type of form in which he appears and does certain things. And so uh, J- Jacob or Israel is calling God the angel who redeems. Notice what he says the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Evil there is the idea of sin. He says, this angel has redeemed me. This angel has purchased me. Now, the word for redeemer is the Hebrew word goel, G-O-E-L. Sometimes in Hebrew it's really G-O-A-L, just different ways to write it. But we usually say it's the goel. It's the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman avenger, the one who redeems his people. The The story of Ruth is a picture of Boaz who is a kinsman redeemer. And he says that the angel, the angel of the Lord has been the one who redeems me. Now, here's the question. Do we see God as the Redeemer, as the one who has bought us, shedding his blood to pay for our sins? So what do we see? We see that Jacob sees God as the covenant-keeping God who does the promises, as the shepherd God who guides and protects and, and provides, and as the God who is the Redeemer God who bought who bought him and, and and it belongs to him. I, I don't like the word, we belong. Everybody bought and belongs to him. So we see that Jacob sees God in that way. So let, let's think about that for a second. How do we see God? First of all, do we see God as the covenant God, the one who made the covenant with us, the blood of the new covenant? Jesus Christ died for us and paid for our sins, shed his blood. We have the blessings of the new covenant. And, I mean, I think that's the most powerful thing that you can think of, that we have a Redeemer and a Savior. Second is, do we see see God as the shepherd? He is the provider and protector. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? He's our protector. Uh, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's the provider. He is the one who provides and protects. He is the one as the good shepherd who did what? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That takes us to the third thing. Do we see God as the one who redeems? that we are dead in sin, we owe God we owe God death, and Jesus Christ comes and purchases us. He's the Redeemer. He buys us and purchases us from the slave market. He purchases us by the blood of the Lamb. First Peter one eighteen and 19, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but we're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's who we need to think about. So Jesus Christ, when we think about it, Jesus is our coveted keeping God, our shepherd, and our Redeemer. That's pretty powerful stuff. That that just by itself will get you through most days, right? That he is the one of the covenant, he is the one who redeems, he is the shepherd. He takes care of us, provides and protects. So that's what we need. And see, it, it, we read it so fast, sometimes we miss all that. And here is Israel saying, God is the one before my fathers. Abraham and Isaac walked. He is the God who has been my shepherd all my life. He is the angel who has redeemed me from All evil, the whole idea of sin. And he is passing these truths on. Because notice what he says. Bless these lads. The word lads there, it means boys. He's saying, bless these boys. Bless these boys. May my name live on in them. What does he mean by that? He's saying, may what I believe and who I am carry on in these boys. Because, see, God came to Abraham. Abram. And he told him these things. And what Abraham believed about the Lord was passed on to Isaac. And then Isaac believed these things. And what Isaac believed was passed on to Jacob. And then Jacob has passed it supposedly on to his sons. But not only that, he's taken these sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he's already said, These sons are your sons, are actually my sons. That's why he's blessing them. And we talked about it last week. Why is Jacob blessing his own son's son? It's because Joseph, he's already told Joseph, these two sons are really my sons. He's given him the double portion. These two sons are taking Joseph's place. And he's saying to them, and may my name carry on in these boys. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down, even to Ephraim and Manasseh and that's so powerful. He wants these boys to follow the Lord, that they would carry on the faith, they would grow, and they would be great. And, and before we go any further, because look what he said. He said, and, and the names, he said, may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. In other words, made the truths that God, when he came to the nation of Israel, when he came to Abram, and, of course, we, I, I'm, I say this over and over, and I'm, it's not as accurate as it should be. I keep saying the nation of Israel, they're not a nation yet. They're a people. They're a family. And we've got to get down to realizing there was Abraham and his small family and Isaac and his small family and Jacob and the 12 sons and the daughter. And they begin to spread out, so they begin to be bigger family. They got 70 people when they went down to Egypt, but they're still just a big family. And what the promise is, here's this promise that God is going to make a great what? A great nation from these people. And I mean you think about it, Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob on down to these the twelve and on down, they they're not going to become a great nation until they get the law. Now let me tell you why. when they came out of Egypt, they came out with how many people? at least two million. were they a great nation? No, they weren't, they were slaves. they were nothing. They weren't a nation. They weren't a great nation were they They were a bunch of slaves. How, how well did they fight the battle to get out of Egypt? They didn't even lift a. They didn't lift a finger. They were slaves. All God said is, "Y'all get out of here. Kill the pass over The Passover lamb. Put the blood on the door, and I will get you out. I will fight for you." When they came to the Red Sea, how, how good did they fight there? What did they say? In fact, I, I, I think this was a bad idea. That's what they said. This was a bad idea. And God parted the water. And they went through. When they got to the other side, they sang a song. They were all happy. They sang the song of Moses. And they started out. And then what did they do? They griped. We don't have any water. Then they griped. We don't have any food. They did. On and on and on. Until they got to Mount Sinai. And God appeared in this cloud. He he didn't let them see who he was like. And he gave them a law that set them apart as a nation. He said, you will be like no other people. That's when they become a great nation. After he brings them out, after he gives them the law, after he, after he then brings them into the promised land after 40 years of wandering around because they still weren't a great nation yet. And after the 40 years of wandering and then under Joshua, they begin to take the land and become a powerful nation. So they're, 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 he says, may, may my name live on in them as the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And they have. And they have. And they're the only people group in the history of the world that were completely defeated and scattered and their land torn to pieces and scattered throughout the world, and they're the only ones that that have ever come back. They're the only ones that never lost their identity. See, God said, You can't lose your identity because you're my people. And I have all these rules, I have these ways of thinking, I have these ways of living, and no matter where you are scattered throughout this world, you've got to be that way. Because one day I'm bringing you back. And in 1948, the nation of Israel was completely scattered in A.D. 70 when Titus, the Roman general, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. People were scattered, they were scattered, and they were scattered from A.D. 70 to 1948. And in 1948 in May, they became a people group, again, a recognized nation in the world. Never happened before. Where are the Hittites? They're gone. You know, where are the Moabites? They're gone. Those people groups are gone. And yet the Jewish people, God's people, this goes back to the promise. And that's why he says, Angel has redeemed me. And he says, bless the lads, may my name live on in them. Has Jacob's name lived on in them? What are they called today? Israel. That's his name. Today, all these years later. See, this this happened when? Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And so Moses lived 1,500 years before Jesus was born. This is probably 1,800 years before Jesus is born. So over, let's just say 4,000 years ago, he said, my name, I hope my name lives on. 4,000 years later, we still say Israel. This guy. This guy who said, I've had a pretty bad life. No, no, you haven't had a pretty bad life. Wow. Wow. He's passing it on. Well, you know, one of the things we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pass it on. We're supposed to pass it on to our children. And one of the sayings is that Christianity is just one generation from extension. extension because if we, if we don't uh, pass it on, it, it won't happen. Let me, let me tell you four things we can think about, parents, what we want to do when we think about our children. Number one is we need to see our children as a gift from God. 120, Psalm 127, 1, Behold, children are a gift to the Lord. The fruit of the room is a reward. As heirs in the hands of a, child, of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. We need to look at our children and realize how special they are. They're gifts. They're gifts from God. In Genesis 48, verse 9, he said, Joseph said, to my, These are my sons whom God has given me. That's how we look at it. God has given. Do we look at our children as a gift? That's how we have to look at it. The second thing is, parents, we have been entrusted with the authority over our children. We do. We're, we, you know, I always, when we have uh, premarital counseling, and I'm sitting with a couple, and I, I go through the roles of the husband and wife, and I raise this question. I always say it this way. I said, is the husband the boss of, the, of his wife? And the answer is no. Okay, oh, by the way, the answer is no. Okay? Uh, the, the Bible doesn't say wives obey your husbands. It says wives submit to your husbands. There's a difference. But then I always say, well, now, are parents the boss of their children? and they want to, they've been taught all this junk, and they'll look around and go, well, we're not actually the boss. I said, yes, you are. You tell them, get into your room, and you sit down, and you don't do that. Yes, you are. Parents have been entrusted with authority over our children. We've been placed in headship over them. We have a great responsibility. That's why the Bible says children, obey your parents. Third thing, parents, we have to pass on our faith to our children. Deut- Ephesians 6, 4, parents, you know, tr- uh, train up your children in the, uh, in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We're to teach them. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says take the things when you lie down, when you sit st- there." end up, wherever you walk, you give the children the the truths. That's our responsibility. I, I read this quote. I thought it was good. It says, the character of our children tomorrow depends on what we teach them today. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? Don't you as a parent feel like you failed? <laughs> I mean, don't you? No matter how good you've done, no matter what's happened, we all go. We're just a mess at this. And that's that's how we feel. But God knows, and he's working through all of these things. We have to train them. Tony Evans said this. He said, we, was never, we must never be content with simply protecting our children from the world. Rather, our goal is to equip them to help them change the world. Not just protecting them, but you, but God preparing them to change the world. Chuck Colson, now listen to this quote. We must take our little self-centered, self-centered monsters... And teach them to share, to wait their turn, and respect others. Thank you, Mr. Colson. Okay, anyway, that's one way to look at it. Now, here's the last thing how do we do this? Okay? How do we do it? By our message and our lifestyle, by our words and deed. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in word, that's what you say and what you do. They have to go together. We can say things all day long. Bible says this, Bible says this, Bible says this. But if we're not living it out, they just look at us because they know that, you know, it's not do as I say. It's both do as I say and do. It's got to be that way. Uh, I read I read this. I thought this was a great quote. It said this: A child is more likely to see God as his father when he sees God in his father. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Man, that makes all his fathers go, "Thanks a lot." You know, <laughs> but it's great, boy. It's powerful truth. We cannot lift our children higher to a higher level than we are. You have to. We we got to keep on growing so we can lift them up. Now, the the bottom line, it's that's what parents do. What about children? Well, when you think about it, go to the next slide. When you think about children, they're to come under the authority. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, they're to obey and to honor. They're to obey their parents as long as they're under their authority. They're to honor their parents as long as they live. Honor is showing respect to the position. Not necessarily respect to the person, but respect to the position. Because you may say, uh, my father was, uh, he was horrible but you still honor the position that God uh, has there. So, uh, children, obey your parents as long as you're under the authority. Honor them uh, for as long as you live. Look at the honor. Oh, uh, Forty-eight, twelve. Joseph bowed with his face to the ground. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, watch what happens. Here's this blessing. He's done this, but remember, he did this. And Joseph doesn't like that. When Joseph saw his father, this is verse 17, when Joseph saw his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Because, see, the oldest is supposed to get the blessing. The main blessing and the blame blessing comes from the right hand. That's why Benjamin's name. What does Benjamin's name mean? Son of my right hand. That's the Right hand's the big one, you know. And so he's supposed to be doing this, and he's doing this. And so the youngest son's getting the blessing, getting the main thing. Joseph said to his father, No, not so, my father, for this one's the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He'll also become a people and will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He says, yes, no, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. He figured, Dad just can't see what he's doing. Oh, no, he said, no, I know what I'm doing. Listen, they're both going to be great. They're both going to be amazing. But the younger one is going to be greater. Sometimes, after the nation of Israel divided, the southern kingdom was called Judah the northern kingdom was called Israel. But one of the other names for the northern kingdom was Ephraim. The whole northern kingdom was often called Ephraim because he was famous. Now, uh, Manasseh was famous. Did you know that Manasseh was such a big tribe that when they came and divided the land, Manasseh was divided into two parts. Half of the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the east side of the Jordan and half the tribe of Manasseh went to the other side. They were such a big tribe. These two boys became possibly, especially for at least the north part of Israel was concerned, the two major ones. That's what he said was going to happen. That's what he said was going to happen. In fact, he said this, he blessed them that day, saying, now watch, by you, Israel pronounced blessing. In other words, the people later on will say, wow, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Now notice, who was the oldest? He should have said, may God make you like Manasseh and Ephraim, but that's not the way he said it. And he's already blessed and put Ephraim above Manasseh. Thus, notice what he says, thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. It's powerful. How special. Let let me ask you something. Look at this. How special was this event? Let me read something to you. Don't turn there. But in Hebrews chapter 11, what is Hebrews 11 called, that chapter? The Hall of Fame of Faith chapter because it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. And if you've ever looked at it, it says, by faith, this happened, and by faith, this happened, and on and on and on. Listen to this. By faith, Isaac did this. And then here is Jacob's act of faith. In the whole chapter, when he says, By faith Abraham did this, and by faith Isaac did this, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. That's his, that's his faith statement of his whole life. Because what he said was, God is going to do an amazing thing, the covenant from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob is going to keep on going through these boys and through this land, and and they're going to become great people, and they're going to be a great nation. God knows what he's doing. That's his act of faith. It's powerful. Watch this. Once again, he's going to give the double portion, I think the next He's going to give the double portion to Joseph. He's going to make sure it's clear. Verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your father's. He says, I'm going to die, but God's going to take you back. Now, when he says take you back, he doesn't necessarily mean Joseph is going to go back. Although Joseph will go back when? When he what? Well, Joseph would be dead. So when will Joseph actually go back to the land? Huh? Uh, Hmm? No? When's he going to go back? When's Joseph going to go back to the land? When he buries his father, right? He's got to go back, right? Isn't that the promise? Now, that's not what he's really talking about here, though. He says, Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I don't think he means when I die, you'll go back. I think he means ultimately the people are going to go back. Watch. I give you, verse 22, one portion more than your brothers. He gets the double portion. That's why if Joseph gets the double portion, it goes through who? Which sons? Ephraim and Manasseh. That's why when, when they come into the land and they divide the land, there is no tribe of Joseph. Right? It's Ephraim and Manasseh. Because you, Joseph couldn't be two Josephs. Right? So it's divided that way. He gets the double portion. So I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. He knows that one day, he says, this is the idea, the whole foreshadow is we're going to take the land away. You know, it's so amazing that a slave, a people who had been in slavery for 400 years leave, come, wander around, come and get ready to go into the land and God defeats every enemy in that land every enemy and and the Jewish people aren't even aren't really even soldiers they weren't soldiers amazing what have we seen? the blessing of Joseph's sons, Jacob's about to die. Joseph comes. He reminds, he's reminded of the promise, the land, and the nation. He gives Joseph the birthright. Jacob sees God as the God of the covenant, the shepherd, the redeemer. He passes on his faith to the boys, and he puts Ephraim over Manasseh. So let me give you some applications. We'll open up three questions you might have. First one is, let's pass on our faith. I mean, let's think about it. What, one of our roles as parents is to pass on our faith. So what do we do? We see our children as what? As gifts from God, we see that we have the authority over them. that's how God has placed us. We are to train them up in the in the truths, the training and the admonitions of the Lord, and we're to do it by our word and by our deed. words and deeds. we've got to do that. that's the key. So think about your life, especially if you're if you're a parent right now and and uh, you say, "You know what's my responsibility my, my kids are a gift, I have the authority I'm to train them up." And it's by what I say and by what I do. As we think about the children, of course, uh, children are to obey and honor. Children are to obey and honor. The second thing, the second big question is how do you see God? I mean, think about it. Do you see Him as the God of the covenant? Jesus Christ and the new covenant is death and resurrection and salvation. Do you see him as the shepherd God who guides and protects and and provides? Do we see him as the redeemer God who has bought us? And because because we've been bought with a price, therefore we're not our own. Therefore, to glorify God in our lives, we're to serve our Savior. So how do we see God? In this passage, there's so much there, but I think we see about fasting on faith. We see about how we view God. And I think for all of us, God is the covenant-keeping God who is the shepherd who provides and protects and guides us, who is the one who has redeemed us and bought us and gives us eternal life. May we pass on our faith as we see our God, our Savior, our shepherd. And as our Redeemer, let's pray. If we got any questions or comments? We'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, thank you for, so much for the passage. And Lord, as we continue to see the, the book of Genesis and this last part, and just what great truths to see um, Joseph and Jacob and the passing on the truth, and Ephraim and Manasseh, and understanding that he got the double portion, and and all of these different things. Lord, may we be parents who who realize our children are gifts from you, and that uh, you've given us authority and we're to train them up through word and deed. We pray for our children that they will obey and honor. And, Lord, we see you as the covenant-keeping God, as our great shepherd, and as our redeemer. May we never take this for granted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Okay, I, I don't, yeah. So here's the question, because for the for the TV deal, uh, was jo, why Joseph bringing those children was that was that Joseph saying I'm okay with you skipping me and passing on down? First of all, I don't think Joseph saw it as skipping him. I think Joseph realized that that he was going to get a double portion. And the only way that when they became this people group and they're going back and take the land, the only way it could be a double portion would be something had to go to his sons, I think. And that's why he said at the very beginning, he said, all the rest of your sons... You know, he said, uh, the rest of your sons are yours. These two sons are mine. And so I think he was saying, you can't be two people, but so here your sons are going to be the two people. So I don't know if he thought of it as being skipped. I think he thought of it as being honored because we know that Levi is going to get the priesthood and Jacob, uh, excuse me, Judah is going to get the blessing, but Joseph got the double portion. I think he was coming because I think he already knew. Something was going to happen, I think he knew that 's why he brought the two boys to his father because I think he knew something that his father had a plan, and that it was the double portion and we, if you If you look when we get to chapter forty nine chapter forty nine is where he 's going to bring all the boys in, and he 's going to give them the prophecies about them and it doesn 't go well for the first three because the first three got themselves in trouble, and Joseph was the favorite son. Of all of them, even though he was number eleven on the list, and Jake and, and Benjamin was twelve, he he knew that that there was something special coming. So I don't know if he actually thought of it as being skipped, but I think I think he thought it was a great blessing for him. But I think bringing the kids was that idea. Yeah, I know something's going to happen here. What else? Questions, comments, input. Which, which part is planned? She says she finds it very interesting that God had this all planned. Which part are you thinking about that he planned? He has a plan. In fact, when you think about it, we always make the statement. We yeah, we say, how many sons did Jacob have? We say, how many? Twelve. But he had 13. Because Joseph's sons were two, and so they were 13. And when they divided the land into 12 portions, somebody didn't get a portion. And the one that didn't get a portion were the Levites because they got 48 cities. And the plan for them was not to have land. Their plan was to spend their time at the tabernacle, so you're exact. he's got it all planned. Wait, yeah, everything, everything God does. Uh, first of all, He knows the end from the beginning, so it's not like He's going, "Yeah, uh, let me see what I'm going to do next year." It's, he's got it all done, but it's so amazing how everything works out perfectly. Now, everything works out perfectly, and yet you have the freedom to make any choice, whether right or wrong. In every choice you make, you are accountable for, and yet every choice you make fits in His ultimate sovereign plan. That, that's well. He knows everything, right? Well, well, it's according. You know, she has. I, I can people not pred, not believe in predestination, right? Right. Right. Well, he and not, not only does he foreknow everything, which means he knows before, but he plans everything before. He predestines or chooses or plans at everything. There's nothing outside of it. Psalm 139 says uh, every event in your life is already put in the book. And yet, you may say, well, if every event in the life is already put in the book, I don't have any choice. No, every every cho- you have every choice you ever wanted to make. You can do anything you want to, and you're held accountable for it. And yet, it fits perfectly. Hazel, you had your hand up. Hi. Huh? That's according to who she married, whether she got anything. Later on, later on, as they were dividing parts of the land up, because in a tribe, it was always divided among the sons. But what if, what if a man had no sons? That came as an issue, and they divided the land. And some of the daughters of a guy came up and said, we think we ought to get the land. And they said, you're right, you get the land. And so they did. Do I? More detail later. Yeah, especially when we get a little further into it. Okay, what else? What else? Anything else? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Genesis and all the things that are there. Help us, Lord, as we study it so we would know it and that we would be able to make application. Thank you for the truths. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word, especially the Old Testament, because it is alive and powerful. The things that are there are written for our instruction. Teach us now, Lord. Help us to make application and our lives would be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.